Today's sponsor is Headspace. You slept every night of your life, so you should be pretty good at it by now, right? Unfortunately, many of us don't get the quality sleep that we need and could use a little bit of help, and that's where Headspace has got you covered. It's your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. And while they have meditations devoted to helping you reduce stress and increase your overall sense of well-being, they have an entire library of sleep stories, sleep music, and other sleep sounds that can help you get the quality sleep you desperately need. And for busy lifestyles, they have what's called wind downs. It's meditations and breathing exercises that are as short as three minutes so they can fit into anybody's schedule. I personally use Headspace myself. I've tried out some of the sleep stuff. It actually works. Like to me, it actually makes a difference. So Headspace, it's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot. And over 60 million downloads. Try it today for free and start sleeping soundly. So right now, our listeners get 30% off Headspace's entire library of meditations. Just go to headspace.com slash sleep pod for 30% off your subscription, but only until May 12th. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash sleep pod today. This is the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 68. On your mark, get set, go. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he doesn't look good in a v-neck, Pat Flynn. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Pat Flynn, and welcome to session 68 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. I'm just going to jump right into today's content, and I'm going to do so by giving you a little scenario. I want you to think about this. I want you to imagine right now that that you're about to get married, whether you're married already or or you know you never plan on getting married. That does, that's not the point here. The point here is this. It's about 10 weeks before your wedding, and you have to send about 200 wedding invitations out within the next few weeks. It's a, it's a large wedding. At this point, you have no invitations and you and your partner decide to construct them yourself. DIY wedding invitations. Um, actually, this is what my wife and I did for ours and it was actually a lot of fun. Um, you could pay someone, of course, to do them for you, but you know you wanna take this opportunity to enjoy the fact that it is something that you worked on together. It's something that you could say down the road. Yeah, I remember when we did those wedding invitations together. Now, at the same time, as much as you want to do those wedding invitations together, uh, with the wedding coming up, there's taste testing for your cake and food for the reception. There's making sure the seat arrangements are good and, and correct and everybody's happy with those, uh, that the vendors are all in line and you know, you're preparing a slideshow for during the reception to show to all your friends and family who are there, so on and so forth. So you want to do these invitations by hand, but you also want to do them efficiently since there are so many other things to do on your plate. You go online. You do the research, you find designs that you like, maybe you go to Pinterest and create a little inspirational board of your own with ideas that you like, you buy the paper, the envelopes, the ink and everything, all the supplies that you need and, and you print everything out and you're left with the following, 220 each of the main invitation, you know, you print a few extra just in case, um, they're not yet folded and you haven't yet punched holes in them for the ribbon that you want to adorn them with. Then you have the RSVP inserts with the check boxes to select the dishes for the guests that they want to send back to you, um, along with a self-addressed stamped 
envelope. The envelopes are already addressed to you since you batch printed them out, but you still have to add the stamps. Then you have the other inserts like that card with the directions on it and a card that shares like registry information. Then you have a roll of ribbon matching the color of the wedding to put into the holes that you punch into your invitation. Then 220 unaddressed envelopes that you want to address by hand, more stamps for those, and then two hole punchers, two sets of scissors, um, and a couple of pens. So at this point, with all that stuff, you and your partner both look at this huge pile of stuff that has to be put together, and it starts to overwhelm you both a little bit. I know what that feels like, because I was there. There's eight weeks left until the wedding. 220, uh, you know, 200 or so invitations have to go out, like now. You know, it's, it's eight weeks left. You have to put them out now. So you and your partner discuss civilly uh, how to best tackle this dilemma. You both decide to just jump right in and start putting these things together. And that's when you notice your partner who grabs the hole puncher and starts punching holes into the main invitation. Then your partner takes the scissors, cuts the ribbon about a foot in length, runs it through the holes in the invitation, ties it into a bow. Then your partner grabs all the inserts, the RSVP card, the directions, the registry info, neatly places them into the main invitation, and folds it shut. The invitation goes into an empty envelope, which is then addressed and stamped. One down, 219 more to go. That's when you chime in because you know you're the entrepreneurial type. You're you're efficient. You're you're into systems and getting things done the right way. You say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! What are you doing? The the, the way you're doing this is going to take forever. Let's do it like this. Why don't we do everything by steps? Let's let's first punch a hole in all the invitations and get that over with. Then we'll cut all the pieces of ribbon and." tie those in uh, to the invitation, then get that over with. Then we'll put the inserts in, then we'll fold them all, then we can stuff them all into envelopes, then address all of them and finally put stamps on each, and then we're done. You know, easy peasy, no wasting time since we can probably do each of these segments of the process much faster if we do them all at once. So you tell that to your partner, and he or she just sort of looks at you and says, really? Uh, I'm pretty sure my way's faster. And then you reply, no, dear, I believe my way is faster. Then you can both go back and forth for a bit and uh, finally decide that you want to compete against each other, you know, like all good couples do right before their wedding. Um, You decide to split the inventory in half, which, yes, takes up more time, but that's part of the hypothetical situation. Don't take take that time into account. Uh, You split them in half, and your partner is going to do it their way. Uh, One completed invitation in its addressed and stamped envelope at a time versus you who will put your efforts into one segment of the entire uh, invitation in in this process uh, at a time. So the question is, who's going to win, your partner or you? Who's going to finish their half faster? Well, I hope you're good at admitting you're wrong because as as counterintuitive as it seems, your partner will complete their half of the job faster. Um, this isn't what my wife and I did, and to be honest, I don't even remember how we put them together if we did them in batches. I'm pretty sure we did them the non-efficient way, um, but I'm smart enough to know not to get into any sort of debate or competition with my wife or my fiance before our wedding. Um, I recently finished the book, The Lean Startup by Eric Reese, and in it, he talks about the power of small batches. He gives a similar real-life example of a man who was stuffing newsletters for his wife's marketing company, and his two daughters saw him doing this, and they thought the way he was doing it, which was folding one sheet of paper, stuffing it into an envelope, sealing it, and then addressing it, was completely inefficient. His daughters thought that way. So the daughters took half of the pile and decided to fold all the letters first, then stuff them on all into an envelope, then seal them all, and guess what happened? 
the father, doing it one at a time, finished way before they did. Even though it would seem more efficient to do it one sort of part at a time. And this sort of one at a time approach is faster and it has been confirmed by a lot of studies out there. And I'll put a link to a YouTube video where you can actually see this in action. You know, there's a video I want to show you of a guy who's actually doing this newsletter case study right there and he's timing it. You know, one piece flow versus mass production where it becomes obvious that one piece flow is faster and better. Now the question is, why does this, why does this work? Why is it faster even though it feels like it should be slower? Now there are a number of reasons why actually. For one, our intuition doesn't think about the extra time that it would take to, uh, you know, that would be required to sort, stack, and, and, and move around, you know, large piles of stuff that's not completely finished and all the way through yet, you know, it just creates sort of a mess. Secondly, when things are done in smaller batches, it's, it's typically a more calming experience, and, and you'll notice that if you do this, and, you, and it's probably because you have more control of what's going on. Thirdly, and this is a big one for me, you know, I enjoy seeing things getting done. You know, I enjoy chipping away, if you will, and and it keeps me going and it keeps me motivated. And the chipping away is more obvious when I have completed products sooner. You know, after 30 seconds, for example, your partner may already have one done. After 10 minutes, several invitations are already complete. You doing it your way don't have any until potentially hours later. So it can be it could be a real drag. Now, speaking of waiting until the end, another reason why you know your partner's method works well, uh, doing it one complete job at a time, is because if you found out that the invitations, for example, uh, along with the ribbon that's attached to it and all the inserts that's in it, um, it just you know didn't fit in the envelope you bought. You know, if you complete one invitation at a time, you would learn this right away. You know, just within minutes, actually. If you wait until the end, you'd have to switch gears or worse off, you maybe already address the envelopes and, and you stamp them uh, and then only to find out later that the invitations don't fit. Now that would be bad and definitely waste a lot more time. Now what if you and your partner decided to get your friends to help? You know, and this is very common, you know, bring the bridal party in to help out a little bit. If you did it all your partner's way, you know, every person completing one full invitation at a time instead of working on one part of the process, uh, just like putting the ribbons in or just stamping everything, everyone would feel better about the entire process. Everyone would have a lot more fun, actually, because they'd be seeing the final product sooner. They'd each have, you know, a certain pile of ones that they've finished on their own as opposed to one person sort of just, uh, you know, tying a knot the whole time. You know, there's a tiny bit of ownership there when, when you complete a project all the way through like that. And this reminds me of one of my first jobs, actually. Um, I haven't really, as interesting as this story is, I haven't really told it on the blog yet. Um, I don't know why, but this is a perfect time to introduce it. Um, one of my first jobs I had when growing up, this was in high school, I was hired by a temp agency to uh, get whatever jobs were open during the summer, you know, just to make some extra cash uh, during the summer um, months between, between semesters. Uh, one year... I did some phone center stuff, which was all right. You know, it paid pretty good, like eight bucks an hour, which was a lot above minimum wage at that point. Um, the next year rolled around and I asked to see if that same call center job was available again, but it wasn't. Uh, and, and there wasn't much else to choose from, really. I had to ask and almost beg to see if there were any, if there was anything I could do because I wanted to just use my extra time to, to do something and make a little bit of extra money. So I was finally given... Um, you know, noticed about this job that opened up to work in a factory here in San Diego for a Halloween costume company for minimum wage. And 
I have to tell you, I mean, actually, let, let, let me share what it was like going to work each day. I did this for about two months, five days a week until school started again in the fall. So I'd go into work, put my brown bag lunch in the fridge, uh, take my little punch card and, and check in and then report to the floor where I was told the job that I was going to do for the day. The job would be something like this. For today, for eight hours, you're going to fold the left arm of the costume to the right over the body of the costume and pass it to the right. I would do that for eight hours, that same job. Or it would be, we'll put the mask on the hanger and pass it to the next person. Or snap the button on the packaging and place it into the box. For eight hours, every single day. My work couldn't have been more boring and less fulfilling. I mean, I was just doing one little job, seeing nothing you know tangible from it except a small paycheck for a few hundred dollars every two weeks. If instead I was taught how to take a particular costume um, you know, from a box, from a costume maker, uh, hang it, fold it, do whatever I needed to do to get it ready, package it, insert the little image of the random kid wearing the costume, looking all happy and stuff, uh, and put that into the box, sure, it would have been, you know, still would have been a drag uh, just to be working in that situation. But, um, you know, it, it would have been less of a drag than what I was doing. It would have been more interesting and fulfilling. I could actually count to see how many completed ones uh, I've done. But of course, that's not how it was at this factory. And, uh, you know, there were literally, literally hundreds of us every single day doing one little tiny job. It makes me wonder what would have happened if we were all trained a little bit more to take a costume from, from the box of, uh, from the people who sew them all the way to, to packaging. Um, I don't know, it would have been an interesting case study. But now, you might be wondering, okay, stuffing envelopes, wedding invitations, Halloween costumes, like, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with online business or blogging or, or building passive income streams? Well, the big lesson here is this. As much as possible, you want to work on one thing at a time until completion or a point at which something else can take over. And I know we hear that all the time and we know we should do this, but the reason I wanted to talk about this today was because this is like, there's studies done on this. This is proof and this is an example of why we should do this. You want to work on one thing at a time until completion. And this is coming from a person who has multiple projects. Yes, I have multiple things going on at the same time, but in whole with all of my projects and even within each specific project itself, smaller batches taking one thing at a time has always been a great experience for me and it's always gotten me some results. It's true. When I succeeded with greenexamacademy.com, for example, that was my focus and that's it. And I took things one step at a time. I wrote the content. I created the ebook. Then I figured out how to sell it. Then I started growing my business by getting more traffic to the site and doing marketing. Then I introduced an audio guide and I did focus on one thing at a time. And as a result, the site got to a point where I didn't have to spend as much time on it anymore and I can move on to the next project and also take what I learned from that experience and use it on my next as well. Now with Niche Site Duel 2.0 coming up, uh, which you can check out by going to nichesiteduel.com, it's crazy. I have to tell you, just side note, you know, I published one of the first sort of non-interview researchy type of posts for the duel the other day talking about my criteria for the niche that I'm going to be selecting. Um, and I know I keep switching between niche, niche and niche. I'm still practicing. But uh, within 24 hours after posting that post, there were 1,200 comments. 1,200 comments. Unbelievable. This is, this is going to be so exciting. I, I hope 
you care to join me, whether you're going to build a new site of your own alongside with me while I, uh, during the Niche Site Duel 2.0 experiment or watch from the sidelines, whatever. It's just going to be really fun. So we'll see what happens. But the point is I'm going to take things one at a time and you should too. You know, some people, for example, may think it's smarter to create three niche sites at the same time. You know, more niche sites equals more opportunity, equals more traffic and more possibility of, of, of earning an income. But as you could probably guess, doing three at the same time is, is going to be inefficient. So let's say, just for example, a niche site takes six weeks to build, just hypothetically speaking. Again, I'll walk through the entire process in NSD 2.0, but let's just say that it takes six weeks to sort of go from start to finish for a niche site to get to a point where you can sort of let it sit for a while or work on other things um, related to it. But let's say week one is keyword research and niche selection. Week two is building the website and getting it online. Week three would be writing content. Week four, marketing and researching and, and, and reaching out to others. Uh, week five is building the social media sort of campaign and brand around it. Uh, week six would be monetization. Again, just using this as an example, those aren't necessarily the exact things or the plan I'm going to use, but again, six weeks to complete a niche site. If you want to do three niche sites right, you know, sites A, B, and C, all at the same time, you'd spend week one doing keyword research and niche selection for site A, right? Week two, since you're working on three at a time, would be for site B. And week three, niche selection and research for site C. Then in week four, you're in the second phase, which is building the website. So week four is building site A. Week five is building site B. And week six is building site C. So by the end of six weeks, you'd have one-third of three different projects. That's a lot of work you've done already, but you have yet to write any content. You have yet to have anything online for people to search for and search engines to find. Take things one niche site at a time, however, and things start to look a little bit different. So by the end of six weeks, if you do things one at a time, you have what? A completed niche site from week one to week six that's already gone through all the phases that it needs to go to and it's there with the possibility to earn you an income. By the end of week 12, you'd have two completed sites while in the other scenario, you would still have zero, you know, just 66% of each of the three sites, A, B, and C. And to the end user, at this point, that's zero. That's nothing. That's 0% complete to the end user. So you see, it's clear that it's best to work on one thing at a time. So if you're like any entrepreneur and you have all these crazy ideas in your head that you'd like to implement, you know, implement them, but, but do so one at a time. In fact, let's take the example that we just did, site A, site B, and site C. Um, you know, by switching from one site to another every week, you're losing precious time and energy by having to refocus from one topic to another. You know, if you focused on one at a time, you might even get that site done a little faster, you know, by putting all of your energy into it at first and having that be your focus all the time. Maybe you get it done in four or five weeks instead of six, which could, you know, because of lost time and reorganizing and having to switch between one to another, it could actually be seven or eight weeks. Also, let's say you finish site A in six weeks. Awesome. It's up and running. And when you build site B, you can take what you've learned from your experience with site A to maybe build site B a little bit faster or do it a little bit better. Or maybe something went wrong the first time that you can now correct or be ready for. Maybe as site A is up, certain parts of it start to work really well that you didn't even think of or that just seemed to work for some reason. You can focus more on those things in site B. 
This is what Eric Ries, again, author of The Lean Startup, calls validated learning. It's doing things in smaller batches, you know, one thing at a time, so you can learn as you go and readjust along the way if you need to. It is so powerful. It's used in lean startup methods. It's the foundation for Toyota's success in their manufacturing process, uh, and it can help you get the results that you're looking for faster too. And I'll be honest with you, you know, I still need work on this too. I have trouble sometimes doing one thing at a time because I get so excited, and I know a lot of you feel that way too, and so many new opportunities come our way. So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge all of us to to kind of go through this together. Let's let's try and be good, you know, and be conscious about it, about doing things in smaller batches, doing things one at a time, understanding that it's for our own benefit. We will save a lot more time and money. We will be less stressed. It'll be calmer. We'll be in more control of our situation. And yes, there are certain things we can't control, of course. And of course, there are strategies for getting multiple things done at the same time, like when it comes to hiring virtual assistants or having a team work with you, delegating certain parts of the process to others so you can do A, B, and C at the same time. But that can be a challenge in and of itself. But still, I would strongly consider, even if you can do that or if you've done that before, to complete one project at a time for the reason of validated learning. Now, if you haven't read the book already, I highly recommend picking up The Lean Startup by Eric Ries. Uh, I didn't think it would apply much to what I do because it, it's you know it's called The Lean Startup and I'm not really doing startups, uh, but I was completely wrong. So you can actually head to smartpassiveincome.com slash session 68 for the link to The Lean Startup uh, and also the show notes and everything else we talked about here. Not very many links in this episode. It's a little bit shorter of an episode, but I feel it's a very important one, especially as Niche Site Dual 2.0 comes up and a lot of us may see these other opportunities to create multiple niche sites or work on these other things. I really want you to, you know, if, if you're really going to do this with me and build a site with me, um, I want you to focus on it and not be too distracted by anything else because it's just going to be better for you in the end if that's the case. Now, I know a lot of you are still going to be doing other things at the same time and maybe uh, the, the niche site duel is something that's in addition to stuff that's all that, that you already have going on in your life and in, in your business and that's fine too. But I just want you to sort of think about this and sort of apply it in any way that you can because you're just going to get better results. All right, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know it's a little bit shorter than normal, but this is such an important point that I just wanted to drive it home. And there's really nothing more that I have to add than what I already mentioned in this episode. It's just I really want you to think about working on things one at a time. That's why there's no voicemail or question from a listener in this particular episode because I want you to leave this session thinking about this and where you can implement this in your business and also in life too. You know, you're just going to be less stressed. You're going to get more stuff done, even though it may not seem like it when you're doing it. But the end result is just going to be more progress. And that's what I want for you. So thank you again for all of your support. Let me know what you think at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 68. Thanks again. And I'll see you in episode 69. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. You there? You still listening? 
just want to say thanks. You're awesome. I hope this isn't creepy. Especially because I'm whispering. I don't even know why I'm whispering. But let me know you heard this last part by going to Twitter, letting me know, at Pat Flynn. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point. So I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray. And in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John, who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure, and it always finds a bright side. I really love it, and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.